0: Hello everyone. Welcome to happens and Streets with Baba and Queen. Hi! And Happy New Year from the happens and Streets team. Bon
1: ane. That's in French. Just saying.
0: Okay. <laughs> we have uh, a guest. We have guests! True guests. Plural! We recorded this episode with Lena, who is the PR manager and PR director for Nico Rosberg. And rosberg x racing bam and also farah who is um a former racer and an entrepreneur
1: yeah amazing people guys i hope you enjoyed this episode and just so you know a disclaimer we had to record it in a sort of public area so you might hear a bit of yeah but you know excuse us we brought you amazing amazing
2: people so enjoy enjoy hi it's uh, great to be on your podcast. Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you for thank being you for being here. <laughs> here. <laughs> it's
2: great to have you here. Yeah. So my name is Lena. Uh, I uh, have been working in the motorsport industry since 20 years. I, I feel like I'm really old when I say this, but <laughs> <laughs> I also started working when I was quite young. I think. Um, so I I kicked off with uh, a few jobs in uh, the German Touring Car Championship back uh, in the days and then uh, joined BMW uh, with their Sauber F1 team. And uh, yeah, at the time, taking care of Robert Kubica, Sebastian Vettel, Timo Glock, and Nick Heidfeld. And um, then I uh, found, landed the first job uh, with Toyota Formula One um, okay. when they were still uh, participating in F1 and uh, moved over to their team. Um, and yeah, that was uh, the sort of time when uh, when I was actively involved in F1 then moved over to the road car business of McLaren still taking care of GT sports and Yeah, uh, motorsport has always been a sort of uh, thing in my life since then. And uh, since a couple of years, um, I'm dealing with loads of other different racing series, uh, long-distance racing, uh, Nürburgring, uh, Le Mans, uh, GT Masters, uh, Formula E, Extreme E. And um, yeah, since three years, I'm working uh, for uh, Nico Rosberg, who's the 2016 World champion in F1, as you might know. Equal Machinery. He won
1: in Equal Machinery with (laughs) Lewis, remember?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you're insiders, I can tell. (laughs) So um, he's uh, embarked on the new career since three years. Uh, He's now a sustainability entrepreneur, has founded his own Green Tech Festival, is running his own uh, racing team in Extreme E, as is Lewis Hamilton. Yes. (laughs) And uh, we've just finished the second season in uh, Extreme E. And so I'm looking forward to a bit of a break
3: between (laughs) the busy period.
1: Yeah. Okay, guys. You heard from Lena. Now
3: to Farah. Thank you also so much for having me today. Um, My name's Farah Lanji And um, yeah, I wear a few different hats. Um, I'm a motorsports entrepreneur. So I'm fascinated by the leadership aspects of motorsport and how it can impact. Communities, um, drivers, but also people in the boardroom who may not have um, experienced racing before and, and understand all the different um, aspects that it takes to get a team to its peak performance. Um, but that le- love really came from being a racer myself, um, starting out quite young. As as Lena was saying earlier, like yeah, it feels like you know it's, it's also almost been two decades as well. But I think we all start really young in this industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, I started off as a racer, predominantly in karting, um, then single seaters. And then my trajectory um, sort of faced a little bit of a roadblock because I, I got diagnosed with a, a learning difficulty um, which affects motor coordination. And so I knew at that point, you know, um, you know, going into the to the highest level wasn't going to be an option. Um, uh, but that's where really the resilience and the human performance side was where I really f- fell in love with um, you know, uncovering. Um, yeah, also a DJ and a music producer. So I'm very lucky to play um, around the world. Um, from anywhere like in of course Ibiza um, but you know naturally with my motorsports passion I, I love to also play for brands so I've, I play for like Goodwood Formula One um, I love to sample the sound of engines, put that into uh, my music, oh, and just, just be more so creative. Cool. <laughs> um,
1: we added
3: that to like our intro. Our intro has um, a sound off? of oh, cool engine as well. <laughs> nice, makes sense. So yeah, it's, yeah, I love to just bring that creativity into both music and motorsport. Um, and I always say, music's my yin and racing's my yang, and both can't really exist Ooh. without each other, because they balance each other out in a different way. I feel you. <laughs> music. <laughs> music and engines, yay. Okay, so you almost forgot <laughs>
1: to do what we
0: normally do yes yeah, so we are going to question you on the the show lena what day were you born i was born on a thursday yes <laughs> give it up give it up give it up after four months of searching we <laughs> finally, finally found. found a barber
1: <laughs> okay i know you three guys will say no she said yeah no but she said Baba, She's i a have barber. said it i'm decided <laughs> it's, it's our now. show
2: <laughs> Yes. So, my, my name is
0: Baba. Yes, yes. Hello, yes. Baba.
1: sister. Oh, hi,
0: Baba. <laughs> 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 yes. And what about you, Farah? Uh, born on a Sunday. Sandy. So, that's Akusia. We
1: have an Akusia, guys. Like No,
0: she's the first Akusia. Oh, Whole
3: um, oh, position for both like of acoustic. us. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, seriously. Very, very <laughs> <for you>. Exactly. <laughs>
0: yeah, okay. So, we are going to go deep into, you know, questions and. You know, talk more about what you guys do and your experience all around. I think this is the first time we are having an all-women's oh, panel. Yeah, oh, that's, so cool. that's <laughs> a very cool <laughs> premiere. Yeah, yes, so this will be really. This fun. is the future of motorsport. Yes, yes. Right. <laughs> yes, we have a lot to talk about. But let's start with um, delving into your background, both in around motorsports. This is going to be a lot more than F1. Yeah. Um. So. Can you walk us through the different hats you've worn and what you did in those, um, you know, those um, jobs? And mm. Maybe
1: even before that, like the educational background as well, because yeah. I know there will be yeah, a lot of people be, interested. That's true, actually. Mm. Me, for example, she wants my, to be my a strategist strategist
0: Something for a Ferrari.
1: <laughs> they need me. I keep saying
0: this. <laughs>
2: So um, I'm a German national, and as you might know, I think 80% of the German population have something to do with cars. <laughs> At least that used to be the case. Um, and when I was a kid, I wasn't, I wasn't necessarily looking to, um, to start a career in, in motorsport or the car industry. Uh, my father was a massive motorsport nut. Um, he is from an area in Germany called Eiffel which you might know because that's where uh, the Schumacher family comes from, Ooh. and it's where the Nürburgring is located, yeah. so green hell, as we all call it. <laughs> so when, you, when you're from that area, I think it's just in your blood, in your genes, and he took me uh, to a race when I was eight, so in the 90s, a, a German touring car. Uh, race and I just got super excited when I saw the cars lined up and how they were sort of you know
0: uh, yeah <laughs> yes actually
2: actually the engines and, and back then in the German touring car championship were just I mean blow you away and um, I remember that feeling of vibration going through my body and excitement and just that passion just you know streaming through my bloodlines and I uh, I just remembered that feeling so but other than that I had no plans to pursue a career in motorsport but. Um, I studied communication sciences with a plan to become a journalist or PR expert, as I have become, um, and then landed my first internship with, uh, with BMW, actually, so that's what I spoke about earlier on. Yeah. And um, as I was a trainee in their, in their uh, motorsport department, I uh, I helped to to organize race events I took care of the drivers and back then Sebastian Vettel and uh and Timo Glock were third drivers so reserve drivers and uh as the intern I was asked to take care of them because they were a bit less important Imagine than the real that. drivers <laughs> and uh and they were like okay you take care of the third drivers and uh So I answered press requests for both of them. I I looked after them at races um, and and just sort of ran around organizing loads of things from tickets to uh, merchandise to autographs, um, press conferences, press releases, journalists, itineraries, uh, flights, hotels, whatnot. I mean, it's part event management, part communication. Um, And then I was probably naive enough to think, oh, okay, I can do uh, a Formula One career. Since I've already started, I'll just do it, you know. (laughs) And everyone in my department was like, yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, they have probably worked ages and decades to get to where they were. And I think, you know, being naive sometimes helps you, (laughs) you know, not knowing what the challenge is and just, you know, jumping over a hurdle um, and not understanding that it's actually a mountain. And uh, and so I just uh, applied for a job at the Toyota Formula One team. They were looking for someone to cover uh, for maternity leave, and uh, I landed the job. And I remember during the interview, um, the the boss came in, so the, the supervisor of the person who interviewed me, and said, I have to disturb for a second. Just, is that OK? Um, I actually just found out that the person who's going on maternity leave isn't going to come back. Would you be interested to have the job on a permanent level? I was like, yes, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and so yeah, I ended up working for Toyota for uh, the the two years that they they were still active until they decided to leave Formula One, which is also was a big, yeah, a big thing for everyone there. There was over a thousand people losing their passion mm. jobs and uh, quite a a sad time. Yes. Yeah. But Well, I'll come back to that a bit later. (laughs) But I'll I'll let Farah answer maybe the first question before we go on.
3: Yeah, so I think for anyone who's ever been in a go-kart and loves motorsport, I think it's something you you never forget. Um, You know, particularly for me, I was around uh, 12 years old with someone's birthday party. Because motorsports, it's not like football where you can pick up a ball, go to the park. It's, mm-hmm. it's a very inaccessible sport. And you kind of either, your family might be into it, you're, you know, or you, you need to have someone who knows about it to kind of introduce you into it, I think. Um, well, especially back in those days, anyway. Um, and so, yeah, it was a kid's birthday party. And I just remember, like, I had a tough childhood. I, I was bullied a lot in school. I was at this all-girls school. Funnily enough, I loved o- only football in Formula One. So I kind of was a bit of an anomaly um, but my grandfather loved cars as well, and Sundays was always our our thing to watch Formula One, to go for a drive in the British countryside, very British thing to do. Um, but yeah, you know, I stepped into a go-kart, and it just felt like this out-of-mind-body experience, you know. And you put on that helmet, nobody knows who you are. If you're a girl or a boy, it's literally just about your performance and unlocking that at every turn. Um, and uh, I was hooked, and I always just, you know, convinced my parents to let me come back. Um, eventually started, you know, doing well and, um, you know, getting podiums and stuff and, and racing for that for that track and for championships. Um, and then, yeah, as I mentioned, you know, age 15, the story really took a rapid turn um, because I thought in the beginning that's what I, I wanted to, to to become. But, you know, apart from just that, you know, of course, the astronomical financial figure um, uh, amounts uh, required to make this a career, the fact we still, you know, are here talking, we know there isn't a Formula One female driver, Um, you know, it's still a few generations away. So for me, I was told to hang up the racing shoes and to forget about it, right? Um, And to focus on my education, focus on those grades that are really important. but when I got to university, um, actually, in my gap, I took a gap year before uni, and I, I managed to get this job at Gumball 3000. I won this internship opportunity on Facebook. It was really random. Um, and um, and that, that, those, that week changed my life because I suddenly saw the world of cars as a lifestyle, um, as a community of people that love racing, that absolutely love cars, but it's about... The road trip and you know the experiences along that um, because Gumball 3000 is a seven-day uh, race, or let's say road trip, um, and it takes place across 3,000 miles. And the routes that year I was working was like London to New York. They've done you know crazy things like London to Tokyo in seven days, right? Um, so it's a huge logistical operation. It takes a whole year to organise something of that scale. You have um, 120 supercars. And I think that really planted the seeds, for, you know, in, for me to kind of think about um, exploring motorsports from a, a kind of experience-led approach. Um, and when I went to a business school in London called Regent's University, um, and I was very lucky to start um, the Racing Society there. It didn't exist. We had students coming in. We have 90% international students. So, these guys and girls are coming in they actually don 't really know London outside of zone one, um, and they don't know <laughs> they don 't know like you know all the, awesome. the yeah and, and especially because yeah there 's so many manufacturers here, so many you know factories um, and we started putting together these events and quite quickly it became a business you know it was a community in itself, and many years later, it led to me basically launching that as a as a separate business and um, it 's of, of course evolved outside of the university. Although we still have, like, a partnership with them. But, yeah, so I've worn also a lot of hats. I trained as a journalist as well. Um, and so, um, you know, I think running a business, you need to, you know, you do need to wear a lot of hats. You need to understand a lot of the areas of business um, so that when you grow, you know, you have those PR companies or whatever coming in. You you know, you're it's an amazing opportunity to work with because you can 10x um, the output because you understand the foundation. Um, so it's a lot of self-talk, but... Yeah, that's been the journey, really. Can you talk to us a bit about what your company does? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so basically um, it's a members club um, and the whole mission is to explore leadership through motorsports. So we put on seven or eight events a year um, in London and we'll always do one global event as well. Um, And those events could be as extreme as like blindfolded driving with Land Rover where, you know, <laughs> Luna and I could go, we're good friends, we, you know, and, and we could go and, and, and drive this car and one of us will have a blindfold driving it and she would be telling me, oh, you right. know, yeah. go by like five degrees left or whatever. And, of course, that's that's a really great um, experience to broker trust, you know, and for yeah. companies especially, it's a great team building experience. Yeah. But then we could go to an F1 factory and hear from like Michael Schumacher's performance coach on like Peak Performance, for example. Um, we could be hosting panel discussions at the university, Um, Karting of course is something we always like to do We host a lot of dinners at the Royal Automobile Club as well So lots of just community Focused events Um, As a community we also have a communication Channel, a lot of us talk about F1 You know just kind of geek out about it Um, And then also yeah We organise like road trips so we've done a road trip to the Nürburgring before um, Which was quite exciting And um, we're looking at it? London to the Dolomites next uh, September Um, so, yeah, and, and because of the beauty of the, the university and the people involved, it, it turns out we have friends literally in almost every corner and they all love motorsports. So it's really nice because, like, for example, we go to Uganda and we'll have a local, you know, member of Regents Racing showing us the, the community there and the country, but also the, the motorsports there, like, you know, which is particularly in rallying, for example. Do you um, by any chance need Ghanaians? <laughs> <laughs> of course. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> do we have
1: an industry like that.
0: We have the motorsports club actually yeah we do have a Ghanaian
1: motorsports mm -hmm. community
0: community that's actually really growing at the moment nice and we have
1: like go-karting and launch control (laughs) like cars going racing but um, I think it's a start right yeah and
0: we've met a lot of people um, a group of people actually since we started the podcast yes Surprisingly
3: enough. Yeah, there's a mm, whole
0: community that mm. seems to be growing as
3: well. Well, that's amazing. I mean, similar to my friend in Uganda, it's very grassroots level. You look at Kenya, which is much more advanced in its motorsports development, and that's the benchmark, but there are so many surrounding countries that, you know, it's it's like, we were talking about this last night. I mean, you know, Africa is the the you know a place for explosive growth. Um you know we we see this. that's what we oh, that's tell That's, every that's, that's, that's what we pitch. tell our sponsors. <laughs> so you guys are there now getting the scene yeah. ready. It's amazing. Exactly. You know, yeah. yes.
2: Yes.
1: We want to be like already positioned exactly for when it happens because we know it, it's it's still going, going to happen. ready. and I wanted to just follow up question, right? Because you both men- mentioned Nouveau Green. Is it as dangerous as like we've heard it is, and does it just... De- I think they've re-sort of dimensioned it now so it's not as dangerous as it used to be.
2: Wow, I like how you thought is it. ready. <laughs> yeah. Family roots. Um, so back in the days, uh, and this is where the, the green hell uh, came from, That it used to be a Formula One circuit, the full length of it. Yeah. So there is two elements to Nürburgring, one, one is a Grand Prix, track which is shorter and that's what's been used in recent years and recent decades and then uh, before that uh there was the historical grand prix track which is much much longer and uh, which is actually very dangerous in the specific uh, track to to race um it, it's still used for the 24 hours of Nurburgring, for example and there's you know just some areas that i'm sure para can tell you more about uh, just like the carousel or you know just very very high speed areas um that um yeah you have to be trained for not every driver can 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 do this track um and actually those who do are usually training on Nürburgring ring pretty much all year round Um there's also specific uh licenses that allow you to to race on that track um but uh, it's also t- open to tourists for oh. <laughs> i think it's sundays uh, that
3: crazy people <laughs>
2: go
0: i would love to <laughs> you can go on. there e-
2: even even uh, in, in a Vauxhall and uh, get on the a track and just um try it out but it's at own risk and
1: um, <laughs> use up your I, I advise
2: you to to watch your rearview mirror oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> can you drive
2: Oh, can yeah, you drive? Yeah. <laughs> that, that, I mean, that is uh, a condition, I think.
3: <laughs> oh,
0: no. No, I can't drive.
3: Oh, <laughs> well, need a co-pilot. <laughs> exactly.
0: Yeah. Are you going to live? I'll be her co-pilot. <laughs> mm-hmm.
3: No, it is, of course, you know, it's its a reputation, you know, speaks for itself mm. because people do die there every year unfortunately and um you know on those public days they allow um bikers as well so it's also an extra element you have to be aware of i mean it's 181 corners so for anyone to memorize that amount of corners that's why it takes as she said somebody racing there like you know pretty much all year round also the terrain because of how long the track is i mean you know one part could be completely, you know, sunny, but the other part could have like ice, you know, or, or, oh, yeah. or, or, or wet funny. weather conditions. So that, mm. you know, that has to be factored into your approach when you're driving. And I think when you're going, um, when you're going um, as a member of the public and just as a, you know, as a petrol head or whatever, I think you're not going to be pushing it to that level that other people who are coming there to do will in the beginning. And I think it's always you should go with an instructor if you're going to really unlock the maximum because, you know, you may as well explore and, and start to learn because it takes a long time to learn 181 corners, right? Oh, yes. So you're not going to be able to do it the first weekend that you go there. It's to, you have to keep coming back and Wow, that's and learn
1: amazing. It. And, I mean, just to follow up on that, right, mm-hmm. how much mental capacity do you need to have to be a racer? Because, I mean, look at all the tracks that they have to race on, all the different corners. And I feel like a lot of them actually have, like, a mind map of exactly what the corners we've, are. Is we've it, seen people it,
0: do yeah. and, you know. Is mm-hmm. it
1: compulsory to even learn it that well?
2: So. Yeah.
1: Like compulsory to learn like your track that mm-hmm. well to be a very good racer. Y- yeah. Or you can just like... As in when, like,
3: just no, go with no. the flow. <laughs> no, you have to study the track. You have to know um, how different temperatures will change the the, the, the racing line, for example. Um, you, you need to be studying a lot. And that's why, you know, races have an obsessive mentality with unlocking performance gains because that's the whole way you're going to unlock speed and unlock results, right? So there's a lot for sure on a mental component. Like, it's very much as much, if not more, a mental sport yes. than physical
1: yeah Yeah. i mean i i think i've listened to nico a lot when he was also doing his podcast and he he's he talks a lot about psychology like i don't know if both of you can you know talk about some of the games when it comes to psychology is it very like the competition does it get to a breaking point for some of these drivers or even in like your various roles as well when it comes
2: to this. I mean Nico will probably tell you a lot of stories <laughs> about uh, his competition with Lewis Hamilton and how he uh, you know uh, his psychology training uh, and mental training helped him overcome obstacles in this area because it's it 's not just uh, a physical competition or a technical competition it's a mind game yeah. and that definitely also uh, there's an attack on all levels when you're at that uh, sort of competition uh, you know competing for the the title in the world championship that, yeah. that there's so much pressure and i think uh, it takes a very strong mind to, to withstand that sort of press, pressure. I think Farah was talking about bullying, and I don't think we even begin to understand what sort of pressure uh, sports and athletes uh, uh, are, are under in this sort of game. And yeah, mental training definitely helped Nico. It also helped various drivers I, I have worked with. Um, it's, it's not just understanding how you can um, overcome setbacks because you need to get back out there. You can't sort of, you know, be let down by a bad qualifying result or a free practice that wasn't to your satisfaction and then just keep that sort of frustration with you because you have to be back in the game and perform at full speed, and yeah. this is definitely an area, I think, that, that helps uh, those people competing professionally. And, you know, I, I sometimes wish I had such <laughs> <laughs> trainings as well, but, you know, we're just ordinary people, so we can't afford to have someone train us full-time.
0: <laughs> so there is a full-time, like, trainer, yeah, for for just, like, mental strength and mental capacity? Depends how does, how Depends certainly that, on the yeah, sport, like, yeah. How does
1: that even go? Is it like... A physical and mental thing at the same time so for example maybe you are training right and you're at a point where maybe you can't even lift that huge ball one more time but it's like you have to just so you break that sort of barrier mentally as well like I'm really trying to figure out how how that works.
2: I mean the physical and mentally uh the, the mental that they play together I mean that's not just something we know since yesterday and I guess that the, the people who train uh, professional drivers are very good in in, in unlocking that potential and helping um, uh, drivers to perform better and to overcome all sorts of obstacles from physical to to psychological blocks yeah but um, you would have to speak to someone who's actually doing that that might be really interesting for you to understand what sort of training methods they use and, yeah. and, 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 and what they do, but Perry, maybe you have yeah. some personal experience. <laughs> <laughs> um,
3: yeah, look, it, you know, at that higher level, you get a performance coach, right? And typically, that person may have come from the world of motorsport, so they understand. They might have been previous drivers, so they can share that, you know, kind of advanced, extra knowledge, inside knowledge. And it's, you know, it's a warrior mindset. I mean, literally it is that, that is the way to to look at it because you will be tested and broken with so many things that are out of your control, whether that's the team not having enough money, politics, your, imagine being, you know, the number two driver in a, in a team that's, you know, um, you know, in that, in that, in that aspect. So there's lots of things um there's a lot of pressure induced training so typically there are gyms that are, are that have specifically designed material which is specifically for like motorsport led um you know areas like the neck um things like that where it take a lot more pressure um and um also you know that level of the game you, you're able to get into a bit more around like you know things like bioresonance like things like understanding where does your delta theta mine operate in <clears throat> so you can see like which parts of your brain are like you know, are being, are working harder, and and then you can focus. (laughs) (laughs) I really really need Mm. this, personally, as a (laughs) person. I think working in
0: finance is the same way. We actually do need mental training.
3: And and this is where, like, you know, I take so much, um, I have so much fun with the company events that we organize, because, like, for example, with F1 or motorsports, you know, if we use F1 as an example, that's 22 races, 22 different time zones, you know, throughout the year, um, and, you know senior executives might face a similar, similar issue where they're traveling all throughout the world they still have to perform at their peak and so how do you do that mm. um, and that's where it comes I in I think
1: there was a reason we loved F1 <laughs> there's so many crossovers for us here um, I think maybe you can go a bit more personal about like F1 maybe your favorite tracks or races even if not F1 like just motorsports in general mm-hmm.
2: Um, my favourite motorsport series at the moment of course is Extreme. <laughs> of course and I, yeah. I'm not saying that because I have to <laughs> no I really uh, think it's a, a very cool and modern and new way to look at motorsport and it yeah. includes many of the elements that I have been missing in the past uh, not least the fact that the, uh, women and men are competing together
1: I, I found out like very recently that it had to be like a pair both male and female yeah. I was like that's amazing
2: and that's the first only series, where that is the case, it's actually part of the uh, the, the, the rule set. It's part of the. It's a competitive element. It's a strategic element, too. And it forms such great bonds between uh, male and female drivers. And and we have actually seen, that. I think in the beginning, um, the female drivers were off eight seconds. So the the best female driver, you know, of the worst male driver was off eight seconds. And now we have situations, and just over a course of two seasons, where uh, female drivers are actually outperforming some of the best, you know, male drivers out there in restaurants someone like Sebastian Loeb, uh, our driver Mikaela Olin Kajlinski, who is a Swedish rally driver, um, she's outperformed uh, Sebastian Loeb's in in sections and and just you know goes with the flow. And I think that shows that you know that the mental area that we just spoke about doesn't just apply to as you said politics and finances and so on. It's also a psychological potential that you need to unlock by empowering people, especially yeah. women. To, you know, just be out there, be confident in their skills and, and show what they can do and what is in them. And and that it wasn't just uh, a strength element or, you know, a performance aspect of, you know, not being trained enough. It's also mental and psychological. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm really glad to see that. So this is just one element. Of, there's many more. But, yeah, extremely is, is something that excites me for that reason. Um, if you ask me about my favorite race, historically, I would... Probably have to to mention one of the Le Mans 24 Hours. I know that you guys are totally into Formula One, but I'm maybe after this. I
1: mean, it's so intense, right? Yeah,
2: it's I mean, I I love 24 hours uh, long distance races because uh, the nighttime. I mean, uh, Farah, you've seen that. I mean, when you're standing at the racetrack at Nürburgring or Le Mans uh, at nighttime and the cars come your way with the lights on and it, flashing at you and at incredible speed, sometimes uh, under weather conditions of rain or even hail in, uh, at Nürburgring and snow. Um, and you see those drivers out there for several hours and sometimes, you know, you go to sleep for two hours, come back to the racetrack and they're still out there, you know, it's like, how are you still here? I've slept a couple of hours and you're still racing. Um, and of course, I've I've worked for teams during uh, Le Mans in twenty four hours, and and slept in in the garages with them, and some in some chair in the corner, and you know, uh, I froze and and, and and was and sweated at the at the, on the grid, and and waited with them, celebrate with them. It, it, you just, it's it's a very very strong community. Those twenty four hours actually, I think, form a bond in yeah. the team yeah. that I haven't seen in uh, F1 because it's a very high-tech world. It seems to be, in my, well, now look at it, looking at it, very sterile. Can you say that? Mm-hmm. It, it just seems clinical almost. Mm-hmm. Um, and not quite as emotional as that experience of, you know, true, real people working you know, are at it for 24 hours and even more days before and after. So this this was something that really excited me. And it's, it's the old form of motorsports. So you can see, you can tell I'm old with <laughs> <laughs> the fact that I point this out. Yeah.
3: yeah, no, of course, yeah, Le Mans is right up there with my, my favorites as well. Dakar Rally, I, I absolutely love that, um, the extremity of it. Um, again, the team commute, the spirit because it's so much about the team as well. They're all moving from different points um, in these extremely... Harsh weather conditions, um, and we, even journalists have unfortunately passed away just even covering the race, right? Wow. Because um, just the extremity. Um, but as a Formula One geek, um, I do I do love Formula One. <laughs> you know, it's um, it's crazy. I I do think it's it's it's. You know, I think they announced 23 races next year. It's it's nuts yeah. to think like how many. Yeah, it's yeah. it's um yeah, but I think Monza is one of my favorites. Um Ooh, just full um of speed. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we, yeah, We
1: almost went to Monza. Oh, really? But that's yeah. a story for another day.
3: <laughs> nice, nice.
1: Yeah.
0: Um and just coming back to you, Lena, on the work you do in in extreme E. Can you walk us through how it is being a PR director for an extreme E team?
2: And what it entails. Yeah. a day in the life. A day in the life. So I, at the moment, I'm I'm wearing two hats. I'm uh, the PR director for Nico. So for his um, personal PR, and that involves uh, a lot of his businesses, not just in Formula um, Formula One or in motorsport, but also the Green Tech Festival uh, and various portfolio comp- companies that he has invested in. As you know, he's also an investor. Um, and just generally a businessman, and then there is the other head, which is my role um, supporting the the race team, at Rosberg X Racing, uh, as a PR. And the typical motorsport PR is uh, looking after all sort of press requests uh, around races, but also throughout the season for drivers' interviews, um, things like sponsor requests. Um, we're as in every motorsport uh, series, we're working with partners, um, and sometimes we organize events together um, where press would be present. We are all, always trying to get some awareness for the various activities, not just at the races, but uh, specific to Extreme E, also off track, because mm. um, we are, we have our own uh, campaign called the Driven by Purpose campaign, and this is specific to Extreme E that there is a social, environmental, uh, and... and a sustainability cost to each race uh, extreme e has a legacy program where for example they're helping communities in the countries where they race um, to overcome uh, cl- issues related to the climate crisis uh, like drought and and like uh, dangers and threats to the habitat Um, or um, gender equality issues and we do the same um, as a team uh, with our Driven by Purpose campaign with the help of our partners and Mm. to create awareness for this aspect is um, of course a different challenge because it's not just speaking to motorsport media about results and performance and strategics and tactics and all those kind of things so sending out press releases about how the qualifying went is one thing And I do that, and I have done that for many years, but um, creating awareness for what the team, uh, NICO, the drivers, and our partners do off track um, to, for example, uh, promote um, gender equality in countries like Saudi Arabia, where we do race, or um, to help with the beach cleanup in Uruguay, where we, you know, to, to, to help overcome microplastic issues in the oceans uh those are more complex topics and i like the uh the versatility versatility of the of my job because it it gives me an opportunity to not just speak about the sport but also uh of the power of sport outside of of its uh of, of its bubble so to speak And the reach that we have um, talking to fans that might not otherwise, you know, get involved with sustainability or gender equality, social causes and so forth. Mm. So I don't know whether that answers your question. It's not not necessarily (laughs) a day in my life. A day in my life would be... Emails, (laughs) emails, <laughs> answering emails, yeah. getting more emails, and then occasionally a WhatsApp, but I don't think that tells you anything about what I do because this is the reality of all yeah, of our yeah. lives nowadays. We but live yeah.
3: on emails, I Yeah. Yeah, um, I'm going to have to dash off in a minute, unfortunately, just because I have this um, this call that I was scheduled in. But um, day in the life, um, I mean, yeah, it's 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 very, because I run three businesses, so every day is different, you know. I mean, I'm literally <laughs> yeah. in different countries. I mean, um, which is really exciting. But um, I always use Mondays to get organized, so it's Mondays is always like the teams, everyone's, you know, regrouping on a Monday to just plan ahead for the week. Um, it could be going to the music studio um, and just, you know, doing what I need to do, which can't be timed, to be honest. It has to just have its own time to, to manifest in its way. Um, there could be weekends are always work both music and motorsport and that does sometimes press place a strain because we will be DJing till late on a Saturday and then Sunday's a racing day so yeah, yeah there's been too many weekends <laughs> of lack of sleep on that front um, but you just run on adrenaline isn't it and um, yeah it's just uh, really lucky to do what I do so a lot of it is um, planning and yeah of course the emails and stuff but I hope to not let my my day get dictated by the emails that come in in a way Um, really just plan really the the experiences and um, what's necessary to kind of get them off the ground. Um, And with that said, I will have to to dash off and it was really a pleasure to be uh, speaking with you guys. Um, If I can jump back in, I will, but um, I'm just going to go take this call quickly and then, then,
0: yeah. Yeah. So thanks a lot.
3: Thanks.
1: Okay, my next question on PR, obviously. (laughs) Can you give us like a story that you're allowed to, of course. <laughs> 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 um, like when you had to do like serious damage control. A serious
2: damage control. Um, let me think. Um, well, I mean, I think the most challenging phase uh, in my professional career was the end uh, of Toyota's Formula One involvement when uh, Toyota the Motor Corporation decided to end uh, their Formula One program, not just because I was personally uh, affected and involved, but also because we had to communicate around these issues, and 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 we had to internally communicate with the people who were affected, who lost their jobs, and you know uh, had a difficult future ahead of them, but also with the press, and and there was a massive investment involved, and that investment hadn't led to the desired outcome of yeah. uh, you know Toyota, Uh, winning as we were all hoping for it and I think this was a very emotional time just for me personally when Farah spoke and I think you guys about engine and music I remember the the one day when uh, it was the last working day for us at uh, Toyota as a Formula One team and as I said we were over a thousand people working in the factory and there were 36 nationalities so it was an incredible team spirit of people from all over the world, like Africa, Mexico, Asia, North America, Europe, uh, Japan, of course. And we all stood outside um, in the the yard of the the factory, and some of the engineers had brought the car out, the last car that we had raced with, and they it was software engineers um, and they had manipulated the Formula One engine of that car to sing a song oh. <laughs> and to rev in a way that it would uh, sing a song. And it was um, time to say goodbye. Oh, and no. oh my God, we know. cried so much. And still now my the tears <laughs> sort of come back because it was such a such an intense and emotional moment for all of us who had worked for years intensively to try and make that dream happen Mm, and we had that saying that was one team one aim and we didn't make it and that just broke our hearts and also to say goodbye to all of these wonderful people who we watched the Grand Prix with every weekend you know we always went out to uh, bars and pubs and you know met up those that wouldn't go to the racetrack because there was an enormous amount of people who would work behind the scenes Mm, and you know and we watched our colleagues fight and yeah, yeah, that was just a, a sad time. But I don't think it was a, as as to say, a, the dirt story. You were looking <laughs> for. It was more of an emotional story. And with regards to to difficult crises, there's always situations where you 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 have to sort of look at the the impact of a certain news element or a potential news element coming out. And I, I'm 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 not saying that never happens to me, but I've been doing this job for quite a while, so I prevent those things from happening before they (laughs) do. do. So, yeah, if I notice too late, then, you know, I would be quite so good. So I think a part of a PR is always a super uh, careful and um, tactical uh, and and almost risk averse person. Always pointing out the dangers and risks associated with a certain news element or a certain story or a certain uh, business acquisition, whatever it is. Um, And it's funny how you know we are always the hey attention sers, you know, whenever whenever we discuss something in the team. And I, Nico, will definitely confirm this. I'm always the one saying careful, careful, careful.
1: (laughs) (laughs) This sounds like a job for
0: you. Really sounds like me. me. Compliance (laughs) officer. So, I used to be a compliance officer yeah. not anymore so <laughs> like that does, i'm not the i wasn't the most liked person because I'm always like careful of even course. with my friends i'm like can you not like, do that? Stop are we that? allowed to
2: do this, Queen? <laughs> <laughs> and it's, I think it suits my personality because I'm like that at home as well. My husband will probably confirm that. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I, um, yeah, we're not the most popular. But, but as a PR, you're a bit of compliance officer. You're mm. a bit of a legal person because you always have to study yeah. legal aspects of things and make mm. sure that, you know, whatever is happening is not sort of getting mm. into an area that might be gray or might be mm. seen or uh, perceived as something that's illegal. And... It teaches you a lot and but yes, we're probably less fun than other I mean. <laughs> as a group. we tend to be less fun okay.
1: I think our listeners will not forgive me if I don't ask this, obviously, the era of equal machinery in saint <laughs> <laughs> right, like just general thoughts of how that year played out, what exactly was your role? I am around that time. Mm-hmm.
2: you know. I mean, I didn't work with Nico back then. Oh, he okay. was, no, I was, uh, I was at McLaren at the time. Uh, funnily, Nico and I almost worked together in 2010 when he joined Mercedes. Um, and I was, uh, interviewed for the job of the PR officer at the Mercedes Formula 1 team. We didn't know off each other then, of course, yeah. and um but I knew that I would would take care of uh Michael Schumacher and uh, Nico Rosberg. Um but then I I got snatched up by McLaren. Wow, and- <laughs> <I
1: love it. laughs> You see and, a pattern here, McLaren,
2: <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, and yeah, they offered me a job here in in the UK, and I just thought it would be an amazing opportunity for me to, to you know get some new experience and also you know live in a foreign country and work on my English and all these kind of things. So yeah, I chose McLaren over Mercedes. Very sorry wow. to say, and, to M's, and to M's. Back then I chose Lewis over Nico. But again, I didn't. Do it. <laughs> Yeah. But then, you know, they, they did compete and um, and I I moved on to the the automotive side of the business. So I, I didn't have to do with, with Lewis or uh, Nico quite as yeah. much as, as mm-hmm. I would have. Um, but yeah, I was a massive Formula One fan back then and definitely watched all of the races. But as I was working for McLaren, I probably <laughs> had to
0: cheer a bit more for, for them back then. Yeah. 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 And I had a question on, you know, how... PRs work so when it comes to moving with the people that you work with, you seem to have like um, you develop relationships with drivers rather than the teams, per se, from what I've seen. Hmm. Um, How does that work? Is it that you just spend a lot of time together? So, in when the driver is moving over, they just you know go with their PR managers or their directors. How why is that the case basically? Do you mean in uh, at the races or just generally? No, just generally in terms of like drivers mm. and their PR managers. Like and mm. how seven. they move mm. Mm. Yes Seven Brita Nico. and mm. you and Nico have spent a lot of time together so, Yeah. and there's just that pattern.
2: I mean Nico um I joined Nico when he was no longer an active racing driver, so our relationship is probably very different from what it would be if mm-hmm. I would have looked after him during his F1 times but I did look after several uh, F1 drivers and typically uh, you're super organized in F1, you know that, right? So, um, you know, part of our work is to develop those minute-by-minute schedules. I don't know if you've heard them or seen them. I mean, they're (laughs) a nightmare for everyone who doesn't have OCD. Luckily, (laughs) I do (laughs) So there's literally, you know, things saying, you know, 10:01 change into helmet or 10:02, you know, a take cab or 10:03 yeah. or whatever uh, um, sponsorship uh, uh, handshakes or 10:05 a TV compound and then there's a five minute interview and as a as a PR you would typically run next to you know your driver yeah. the whole time with that minute by minute schedule because it's not the driver who knows it, it is you yeah. <laughs> and you need to sort of push them and pull them and and help them and support them the entire time so that that schedule can be followed and it's brutal i mean uh, for the drivers who are there to focus on the performance that weekend and who have loads of other things on their mind especially you know when they're competing in a very uh, significant race um that they, they the last thing on their mind is that schedule but for you as a pr you have to follow it through because there's just various things that drivers need to do um, you know from sponsorship Uh, meetings uh, to press conferences uh, to autograph sessions to uh, uh, other events to briefings technical briefings and all that kind of stuff so it it takes somebody to be their chaperone and just you know guide them through and also there is sometimes fans that you know you need to (laughs) yeah, Yeah. um, yeah take care of and 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 that I guess is a very different job from from what I've been doing over mm. the past couple of years, because Nico now is an entrepreneur and he's a businessman. He doesn't need someone to run, run next to him and give him a minute minute-by-minute schedule of, of of what's happening, as he's you know uh, determining mm. himself what's happening and where he's going to. We have that situation sometimes at the Green Tech Festival, for example, mm. because it's so busy there, and there's just so many meetings that he has to go to. And typically we have a chaperone who runs with them the entire day. So, <laughs> okay.
1: yes. And speaking of work-life balance, I know it's something you're passionate about. Mm-hmm. Yes, guys, I was creeping on hailing. <laughs> <laughs> if you'd want to share a few thoughts on that as well.
2: Um, I mean, generally, F one, and I'm speaking now, from f one in the past and as i 'm no longer doing that but f one is a is a very intense job and i 'm sure that everyone who still works in the, in actively in in, the, in this area will tell you that uh, as you have twenty two races to go to, but also test events uh, you know car launches sponsorship events um, you you know you you also have a, a normal office job in between. It's not like you only do the races, and and and, and this just uh, is a massive strain, I think, on on any family life. And that's why I think a lot of the people who do it are also young, and 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 their twenties and thirties, and, and and that's the time when you most enjoy it, I guess. Uh, and you know, as soon as you have family, I think it becomes a very different issue, and it's a it's a massive challenge for for people to have to do both well. Mm-hmm because you're traveling so much and also the traveling gets, uh, it's more tiring as you get older. At, at least that's the case for me. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm I'm actually uh, relieved that I'm I'm not no longer doing this. I think it it might be hard for massive hardcore F1 fans to understand, <laughs> but uh, you know NBA if you've six. done it for many years, you you just get tired of of the traveling and and and, our, and, and it's the same for Nico. He's just in, he enjoys the fact that he's more free now and that he can determine his own schedule and make more room for the kids and, and for the family and yeah. and do things he likes.
1: Yeah. That's important. Okay, I'm conscious of the time, so should we do the
0: No, I have one more question. <laughs> <actually. laughs> I want to hear your thoughts about diversity and inclusion mm-hmm. in motorsports. Um you've spoken a bit about gender equality mm. in, in extreme E. Yeah. But what are your general thoughts on like what we can do as as a community to mm. develop diversity and inclusion a bit more mm. in, in motorsports? Great question. Thank you. <laughs>
2: I think um If we compare motorsport to like different other industry, we're probably even a bit more behind, I'm sad to say, because uh, things like the inclusion of women, for example, in motorsport have only become a real topic over the past few years. I mean, it's it's when I joined well, when I did my first sort of job in in, F one, I was told women don't don't belong on a racetrack. Hmm. And that was probably something like fifteen years ago. It's not very long. And I just accepted that. And I knew that, you know, okay, this is not my place. I just have to do the back office work. And, you know, when the guys came back from the racetrack, they gave me their track clothing to take to the dry cleaner. And I was like, well, okay, you know, that's fine. Mm-hmm. And, and one day, eventually I'll get there. And I, as I told you, I was probably a bit naive and just thought, well, I'll make it work. And, and I did it, but it's still tough um, because, um, you know, even though things have improved, um, I, for example, and I know that's the case for many women, stumble in situations where uh, a guy who's, you know, not been around as long as I have in the industry, mansplains the world of motorsport to me. (laughs) And and, um, I, I have to, in most cases, I'm, you know, resting smiley and polite and listen to it and think to myself, well, you know, uh, I could have told you that in five minutes, but I'm not, because uh, I don't have to. I don't have to prove myself anymore. But it's tiring, and I think it's a strain for many women who, who pursue a career in, in motorsport and want to be taken seriously. As, as you know, no matter how long they've done the job, um, there is still the perception that women don't understand cars as well or technology. Or have difficulties with the you know STEM uh, uh, um, topics, or you know are, are just not cut out for it. Yeah. And also, it's a it's a sport that I think traditionally attracts uh, also men with a very competitive spirit and <laughs> you know of a very let's say strong nature and character and, and alpha males <laughs> <laughs> Alpha males, yes and and even even though i think there's also alpha women we don't tend to compete in quite the same way i yeah. think and uh, i'm used to it i've always worked around men throughout my entire career but still sometimes i'm thinking it could it would be nice if it was a bit easier and if it would be like now i'm seeing the silver lining with extreme e, I see. You know, okay, there is a, a, a true opportunity for people to understand that there is an equal performance level, and that we can unlock it, and that we do not have to have a prejudice. Um, but it's it's tough. And when I say that motorsport is a little bit behind, I, I say that with regards to gender equality, but of course with all, all diversity topics. I mean, this is something that I think uh, Lewis Hamilton cares very much about and, and he you know brings a lot of attention to this topic. And that's why I, I'm also really happy that you guys do what you're doing, that you're bringing F1 to Africa, which in my view is an overseen growing market and uh, a continent that's so dear to my heart and that just deserves a lot more of our attention and, and just, you know, uh, a confidence that helps the continent to develop confidently and not be patronized by a lot of people who just, you know, oversee it. Yeah. And this is just something that I think you should be very proud of. And, and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we
0: are, we are. Um, Farah just joined us, so we are going to ask her as well. Actually, this was like great timing. <laughs> what are your thoughts on diversity and inclusion in motorsports and what do you think can be improved? Um, ways you think we can develop?
3: Yeah, sure. Um, no, it's an important question um, because until we have achieved true equality, we need to keep talking about this, raising awareness about it and sharing other people's perspectives. Like, all four of us come from all completely different parts of the world, of, of, you know, industry, interest in motorsport. And I think also what Lina was saying earlier about, you know, the competitive spirit and nature. Of course, this industry is inherently designed and thrives on the competition. But sometimes, you know, like, the schooling system in itself is so much about fear-based learning, and you see it in other you know, other industries, like what that competitive mindset sometimes can do to destroy other people because it's ruthless to get to the top. Mm. Like, we'll destroy your confidence and, you know, bullying in the workplace and all of this. And that is, you know, really sad. And of course... Um, You know, I'm I'm sure that, you know, some women have experienced that in this industry, unfortunately. And I think the biggest one um, is that, you know, the the automatic assumption that if you're a woman, you don't really understand or know this playing field, which is, of course, you know, not the not the case. And it's just that immediate assumption. um, And anyway, we have to work quite hard to change this. And um, I'm what I'm really happy about is that, of course, in the last five years, there's been so many initiatives um, set up by people like Lewis Hamilton, Susie Wolff, the FIA, yeah. to take this matter on, a, you know, serious level and like and and have those conversations. And even when the W Series, you know, um, has the, the success of the W Series has shown that like it's I think it was the most watched motorsport series or something in the UK on TV, um, and that shows the amount of interest that's there. And of course, the biggest issue is the funding. Um, yes. you know, this is this is the <laughs> biggest issue. And until essentially like that gap between men being um able to drive formula one cars and constantly you know in demand is not that gap is not going to be reduced until somebody uh, you know seriously invests in women getting to that point because right now there's a performance gap and that performance gap can't be closed until more investment goes into that area and it's going to take a few years i mean that's yeah. the reality um but working in motorsport yeah i mean that's uh, that's yeah that's what i want to share
0: we we'll yeah. get there. That's the dream. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So we are going to end on a lighter note. <laughs> Something light. Yeah. Uh, we are going to have a language class. <laughs> Ooh, quick one. Mm-hmm. Quick. So um, we are going to get Lina and Farah to speak Ghanaian language three. And they are going to say a few phrases. Yes. And depending on we, how well they do, yes. <laughs> we'll move on.
1: So yeah, we can start, start with level one. Yes.
0: And no, then, no pressure. If they have like, Lena can teach us German or something. Hey.
2: <laughs>
1: That's okay, quite I'm so willing, pretty. I'm willing, I'm willing to try.
0: Uh, so it's a simple phrase. It's um, listen to happiness and streets. Mm-hmm. But it's muntier happens yeah. and streets so the word is montier okay yes montier he- yes, <laughs> yes. So, montier
2: so so? <laughs> it almost sounds like it's it sounds french, yeah, it sounds french. i montier mean, really mm-hmm. uh oh like a montier montier
0: <laughs> 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 yes. what does it mean listen, listen. Uh-huh. so listen to happens oh, and cool. streets how so, yeah. do i
2: say listen to happens and streets my name is baba
0: Oh, you see, <laughs> she's going there. Level <laughs> that's level two. So we are okay. going to get you. Is the camera on? Yeah, yeah. time. This time. So you look into the camera and you see this is the difficult part. So it's Yefremi.
2: Yefremi. Yefremi. <laughs> are you yes, uh, Ghanaian? <laughs> Yefremi Baba.
0: Yes.
2: Uh-uh. Muntie hairpins and straights.
0: <laughs> <laughs> See,
2: she did it all by
0: herself. Yeah. <laughs> no tell me
3: yeah.
0: what my name was again? Here
3: Asenwa? Akosia. Akosia, okay. Yeah. So what do you say? So
0: you say Yefreme Akosia. Okay. Muntie, happens and Streets.
3: Yefreme Akosia, Muntie, Herpins and Streets. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> Lovely.
0: Okay. okay. We are great again. students now. It's know, are we great students? students?
2: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: now, is that
3: it?
0: what language are you going to teach us <laughs> today you
3: you um, and what am i what are we supposed to just come up with a word so a word? it can
0: be the same thing you know like yeah my name is uh and then listen to happens Herb- and streets
3: mm. well can you say thank you for listening to have Herb- yes. we can say that okay cool um so i'm i have kenyan roots so um, a word that we love to say is "asante sana," which means thank you. So we can say "asante sane, uh, sana." Sana happens in streets.
0: Asante sana happens in streets. And streets. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> you
2: surprised me. <laughs> <laughs> <Ninja> <laughs> <mean>. <laughs> okay, okay. Queen is your name, yeah. Yeah. You and in German that would be "Königin." What? <laughs> <laughs> like queen.
0: Königin. Königin, yeah, very good.
2: Uh, so you can say, my name is Queen. Ich heiße Königin. Ich heiße Königin. And we're going to make it even better because the Queen, you can not say, my name is Queen, you say, I am the Queen. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so you'll say, ich bin die Königin. Ich bin D. Crimigan. Yes! yes. Oh, oh my god. Oh it like, sounds <laughs> like Dutch, Dutch which yes. I have uh-huh. doubled in uh-huh. a <laughs> bit. Uh-huh.
2: And yeah. Baba, you could say um, ear hurt. Hey, Lord. She came in the whole Ear hurt <laughs> happens in straight.
1: Ear hurt happens in <laughs> straight.
0: Perfect.
2: I'm
1: better at French, obviously.
0: So yes. <laughs> All right, right, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today. We'll end here and go have a chat. <laughs> 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 uh, don't forget to listen. To
1: like, subscribe.
0: Tell a friend to tell a friend. To tell, tell another, another friend,
1: friend. To listen to Happens and Streets.
0: Bye. <laughs>